Welcome to a brand new podcast here at TV. Uh, we are covering the new Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian. This podcast currently has no name, although uh, by the time I publish it, maybe it will have a name. Uh, and right now I'm thinking of it in my head as a complicated profession, which was a title suggested by a few people, including my good friend John Moltz. I'm going to walk through episodes of The Mandalorian with a guest each week, and to kick things off, I could think of no one better to join me for the inaugural episode than my good friend and fellow Star Wars enthusiast, John Syracuse. Welcome to the show, John. I can't believe we're here. There's a live-action <laughs> Star Wars television show, and it's real, and we've seen an episode of it. I know. That is a little striking, because I remember hearing rumors of live-action TV shows going back uh, at least 15 years, maybe mm-hmm. a little more. Um, back when Rick McCallum was still uh, producing things for Star mm-hmm. Wars, so that's that's the era. But yeah, we have a we have a brand new show. It is running in uh, eight episodes on Disney Plus, and it kicked off this week with an uh, episode simply titled Chapter One. So I, I don't think they go much in for fancy titles over there at Lucasfilm. It seems like. Well, uh, you just went to the next episode. It's called the One After Chapter One, and then you're like, <laughs> "All right, strap in." Uh, well, I promised I would give you the opportunity before we sort of walk through the plot and see if you have any any thoughts that you want to lead off here. I'm, I'm not calling it an opening statement, but I'll let you decide what you want to do with this time. Yeah. So this show, I, I, I'm kind of in Star Wars blackout period because I'm trying to not be spoiled for Episode Nine, and I've also just as force of habit been avoiding spoilers for this show obviously i knew the premise more or less see the picture of somebody in the outfit and you know you get a bounty hunter but other than that all i saw were people scolding each other not to spoil things for each other so i you know i I managed to avoid all the spoilers so that said i also had no idea what to expect from the show was this supposed to be like a you know sort of dark gritty you know maybe even like rogue one style thing was it supposed to be lighthearted? uh was it you know is it somewhere in the middle how many characters are in it who is supposed to be in the suit what actors are in it i knew nothing absolutely nothing uh that let me spin out in my mind sort of what i thought this show might be and i think it's a little bit different than the show that they actually produced but either way i was happy to have no well-founded expectations going in nothing was spoiled i was ready to say what kind of show are we going to make and this being the very first live action tv show mm-hmm. about star wars uh setting aside holiday special ewok adventure blah 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 um i'm like do whatever because i hope there will be more shows like this and whatever this show is uh, i you know if it's not my cup of tea i can say fine make another one yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, it's interesting, too, because this is a medium, like you said, this is the first live-action Star Wars show, and that makes it a medium that's kind of unexplored territory for this franchise, because we have had animated series, um, and there's been a couple, you know, TV movies, etc., but never really a live-action series, which is which is interesting. I think it leads a lot of people to think, like, oh, well, that Star Wars just isn't a live-action TV franchise, uh, and I think that this clearly proves that's wrong uh i mean we'll see how it spools out but it, it can clearly be done and i think what's interesting is putting it up there 
against this idea recently in the films that there's sort of an oversaturation, right? They tried two Star Wars movies a year, and everybody's like, no, nah, we don't need two Star Wars movies a year. Is and that what they were like? I, I wasn't don't like know. That. That's, I wasn't either, but like, that's apparently what they took away from it. And like, mm-hmm. you know, there's been executives, including Bob Iger, saying like, well, we think of Star Wars more as like an event franchise mm-hmm. that rolls around every couple of years. And to me, that's sad because I really want more <laughs> <Yeah>. Star Wars. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think this was interesting. I, I went the other direction for you. I watched, I think not all the trailers, but certainly the first two big ones that they put out there. And I was remarkably interested in the fact that like the vast, we, my wife and I, after finishing uh, the first episode last night, went back and watched one of the trailers and like 70, 66, 75% of those trailers are from this episode. So there is very little in them from future episodes. So I still don't know where this is going. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, that we, could have been by necessity, depending on sure, what they yeah, have actually in the schedules. can. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, so yeah, let's do a, a quick walkthrough of this episode, and we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about things that that pop up, and uh, then we'll we'll talk more generally about some stuff about the show. Um, so we kick off uh, on a frozen world somewhere in a bar where uh, there seems to be a little bit of a uh, uh, situation going on where these two guys are trying to gut this one person, the Mandalorian. <laughs> As you do. Yeah, you know, it's it's Star Wars. It's rough and tumble. Uh, the Mandalorian appears. He uh, beats up a couple guys, but then takes the, the person they were sort of harassing as his bounty, who apparently is the person he's been tracking. Uh, they head back to his ship where uh, they briefly escape a monster that attempts to eat their ship, which seems you know, very Star Wars. That seems like a thing that happens. Lots of monsters try to eat ships. Um, and the, uh, the, his quarry sort of takes the time to investigate the ship before being abruptly frozen into carbonite by the Mandalorian, who is uh, sneaky, apparently. Uh, he delivers his uh, parcel back to his uh, agent, I guess you could call him, uh, and is uh, then takes on a more... A questionable job, which is not a standard job, we're told, in which he is uh, goes to see Werner Herzog. Uh, uh, b- before we get to Werner Herzog, I just want to talk about that opening section you just described of, yeah. like, you know, the bar, the bounty, the thing. A lot of stuff is packed into, I feel like, this, yes. this first sequence, right? I mentioned that the t- what I was thinking maybe the tone of the show could be. In the beginning, uh, and the show opens, it's kind of Rogue one He's mm-hmm, going to a mm-hmm. bar. There's some violent things going on. They're threatening him. He looks scared. It's a dark place. He comes in, you know, beats them up, takes takes the guy, whatever. But the 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 bounty is a bit of a wiseacre and has a lot of funny lines and is an interesting actor. And it, it's more of a lighter tone. Uh, you know, yes, there's bounty stuff going on, but he's pleading for his life and trying to be clever or whatever. But then he gets <laughs> frozen in carbonite. Does that mean he's not going to be a, a returning character? Seems like a pretty good actor and a fancy outfit. Maybe he'll be back. Maybe he'll be defrosted. Maybe we'll never see him again. I don't know. <laughs> but And during that sequence, we get to see the ca- the cable gun out of, uh, I think, out of his arm. Yep. We get to see someone dismembered by a door. We get yeah, to see the... the, wait for the that uh, <laughs> we get to see the cocktail fork from the cartoon, mm-hmm, right? From mm-hmm. the Star Wars Holiday Special. That That is used to get the thing off of... The, the creature off of his yeah. thing. There's a Kubaz... And the, the, we got speeders. Yeah. Uh, it's it's there is a lot packed into there in terms of references, fan service, and overall kind of tone. And in the overall tone of that opening scene, I'm like, okay, uh, I've seen like 
uh, Clone Wars, Rebels, all that stuff, you know, or seen most of it anyway. And I feel like it is, uh, the tone of this is very much like that. It's live action, it's shiny, it's glossy, it's real people, it's got nice props and good effects and everything. But the tone is actually very similar. In fact, maybe even lighter than the Clone Wars, you know, or Certainly it's parts similar, of it, yes. similar to Rebel. And I think that is not a slam on this show. It's a credit to their animation because their animation, if you had done all that in live action, would be good live action shows because they're good shows. They're not kids shows because it's right. animation or whatever. So I was uh, delighted to find that this show, at least from for this point in the episode, and I think for the whole episode, is clearly trying to establish itself as being not too super serious, fun, but also serious enough that the guy gets frozen in carbonite and there's other violent stuff that happens later. So I'm, I, I like this tone and it is not what I expected. I guess I was expecting them trying to try to be more serious and dark. Uh, and I was worried if they would nail that, but instead they're going for a more. Like I said, it's probably lighter than the Clone Wars. Clone Wars gets very dark at, at points, right? Yes, that's true. Yeah, I think they, it, it, it sort of rides that line, like you're saying, between something that's very gritty. Uh, and of course, this is like the overwhelming feel of this show is gritty. It really plays up the kind of classic worn universe stuff from the original mm-hmm. trilogy. And I think, yeah, I agree. I, I, I didn't know exactly what to expect. I think this is kind of almost a Star Wars tone, essentially. Like, I can't I can't think of a movie or a TV property in Star Wars that doesn't also try to ride that line to a certain extent, uh, whether it be Rebels or even, you know, uh, the original trilogy, Rogue One, Solo. All of them kind of try to have their moments both of sort of serious, uh, like there are some stakes, there's some threats, but also making sure that it's it stays a, a little bit of a fun and adventure on part of it. And there's, there's certainly some dark stuff here. Like you said, there's the guy who gets dismembered by the door. Uh, the Mandalorian, like, stabs a guy with his knife at some point. Um, That's right, and to cut out the guy's glands and, like, yeah, eat them. Yeah, you know? I mean... Not- and it's it's again going back to like the sort of the grittiness and the yeah, grittiness gets overused these days. But I think it's down and dirty in the same way that like when I think back to the original Star Wars, like well before all the changes, like you know, uh, like the arm getting cut off in the cantina, right? Like mm-hmm. there is some seventies grit to that, and I think that it's clear that Dave Filoni and John Favreau, who are the two guys sort of behind this episode predominantly. Uh, and behind the series at large, like they have a lot of love and affection for the original Star Wars. And I think that not only in the fan service, but also in that tone, it really comes through there. All right. Now, and now speaking of the, the setting and the establishment of this thing, and they, they get into this a little bit later in the episode, but this, this, the end of this bit of the, I'm getting frozen in carbon and then returning the pucks and everything. I don't know when this show is supposed to be set. It's clear, mm-hmm. but from watching the show that it's after Jedi, mm-hmm. but I, beyond that, I don't yet know, but that raises a question. And my 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 first, you know, Star Wars fanboy question was, but not not really a question, more of like a an interesting thing, which is in Empire, Boba Fett's like mm, carbon freezing. If you kill him, that's bad because I have to get him alive. And carbon freezing is seen as a potentially risky thing to do to your quarry if you know he's no good to me dead. In this thing. It's like, everybody's carbon freeze. It's the new normal for bounty hunters. We've learned that, you know what? It's much less hassle if you get them and just put them in a little slab and then you float them out of your thing. It's, it's great. So I feel like this is like a revolution in the bounty business where Boba Fett was an innovator 
And once he tried it, he was like, you've got to try this carbon freezing thing. <laughs> Have you tried carbon freezing? It's a fun thing to do. Look, yeah, you oh, can put them in your closet. They stack right <laughs> up. They don't make any noise. You don't have to feed them. It's great. So uh, that strikes me as it has to be after Jedi and after the carbon freezing fat. Well, I will say they do through. say they do say, I think, in Empire that they specifically Cloud City isn't designed for carbon freezing. Hmm. It's like so they adapt it. And I think there's some risks that come in with that. So it's unclear. Maybe that's a thing. He's just sort of like jury rigging it back at Cloud City. Yeah, you would know better than me from being uh, steeped in the EU and everything. Was that was carbon freezing like standard they, procedure? I can say they specifically say uh, definitely in the radio drama, and I don't remember uh, where that differs from the the movie of Empire Strikes Back. But they definitely say like this facility isn't designed for life suspension. It's only designed for like some other like industrial freezing <laughs> like, or whatever. So putting your cabbage in carbon freeze, right? Exactly. Your your Tabana gas, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I I, I do agree with you like um it is clear from this you know generally when it's set and i know they've said some stuff about when it is but like we're only given hints in this episode like within the course of it exactly where it is and some of that comes from um this part you know sort of like what you see on screen and then there are some more oblique mentions of that later Uh, i do want to call out you mentioned the uh, the comic actor. That's actually Horatio Sands, who used to be on SNL. <laughs> really, I, I couldn't I could not see that through the makeup. Oh no, not at all. I looked it up afterwards. Although and I, was I thought like, wow. Louis C.K. was driving the speeder, but I'm like, that can't be. No, that's uh, another like weirdly uh, like another comic actor who's shown up in a bunch of things. Named Brian. I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Posen. P O S E H N. I've seen he's like really tall and awkward looking. <laughs> yeah, he's got a big forehead, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, Sorry, Brian. If that's your distinguishing characteristic. <laughs> <laughs> uh and um yeah there's like you said there's lots of little things dropped i love the guy i love the kubaz taxi stand with the flute where they like call new 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 cabs mm-hmm. with your flute just that's that's weird uh, and oh, yeah. just star wars enough <laughs> and 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 the taxi guy that i just mentioned who was like you know interesting and funny eaten yep that's <laughs> right he's, he's on screen he gets his one taxi ride and then he's eaten for comic effect when the when the creature comes through the eyes Bad things happen in the Star Wars universe. It's just yeah, a, sure. just a way of life. Yeah. Uh, we also got a mention of Life Day, speaking of bad things happening. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> trying not to remember that one, but thanks. You're quite welcome. Um, and so, yes. So our, our Mandalorian goes to turn in his bounties to Carl Weathers, uh, who is, I don't know what his <laughs> name is, but it's Carl Weathers. Let's just go with that. <laughs> um, there's some haggling over monies. This is another point where we get, um, you know, he hands over some Imperial credits and he's like, nah, I don't really want to do Imperial credits, which is also another indication of our time period here. Yep. Uh, and that gets turned on to um, this this other job that's happening. Um, and so he goes off to see uh, Werner Herzog. Uh, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of other Star Wars uh, Easter eggs dropped here. From there are Jawas. There is the droid doorbell thing from Jabba's palace. Mm-hmm. There's a power droid. Like they the, really yeah, kind of gonk. yeah, the gonk droid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we open the door and hit ourselves some classic stormtroopers. Not first order stormtroopers, which is also an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are wearing classic armor, but it's really yes, they, gritty. They, it is not looking good. Exactly. It's like maybe they've maybe they found that in a dump, or maybe they've been wearing that same set since the second Death Star blew up. But yep. it's not looking good. Yeah, and so we get Werner Herzog, who is playing. We don't really know, right? Like playing Werner Herzog. Let's be honest. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but we we have no idea who this guy. Space Werner Herzog. <laughs> we don't know who he is. What his position is. Like my like immediate sort of filling in from him and the stormtroopers was like. Maybe he was some sort of regional imperial official who's carved out a little fiefdom or something like that. But we don't know much uh, other than 
He wants to hand over some of this Beskar steel in order to have the Mandalorian take this job that's a little uh, non-standard. We also know he has a scientist-slash-doctor assistant who I noticed when I was watching this and I rewatched it later, is wearing an outfit that is very, very similar to Jin's dad from Rogue Mm -hmm. One. Uh, Clearly inspired by that. So possibly some sort of Imperial scientist. And they are looking for someone who's 50 years old and that's about all they know (laughs) but you know the mandalorian he's good at his job so he's gonna he's gonna track this person down um so he agrees to take the there's a little bit of a standoff but he agrees to take the job and he takes this this steel that the um the uh werner herzog has given him and then we have another really interesting interlude where he goes to hang out at the Mandalorian Club. <laughs> he goes to Shaxx because it's Iron Banner. I exactly. You know what? I knew you would get that. I thought the same thing. So like, I also thought that when he comes into Carl Weathers and Carl Weathers is like, oh, you got them all? I was like, ah, oh, it's you know, he's done all his bounty quests mm-hmm. and he's turning them in at one time because that's what you do. That's exactly. Just, you don't want to go back and forth to Carl Weathers. That's, that's pain. Um, yeah, so this particular scene is the one that I was really interested. So he walks down these stairs and all of a sudden he's got like there's a bunch of other mandalorians around in this tunnel there's a mandalorian logo and there's a uh, uh, a lady who's who's basically like a blacksmith and she makes a piece of armor for him out of this metal um i'm fascinated by what exactly this is like they they seem to imply that maybe these are some um mandalorian refugees perhaps like the Mandalorians are fairly well fleshed out in both Clone Wars and Rebels, but on screen in the the movies, we're basically never seen, right? We have mm-hmm. Boba Fett and Jango Fett, both of whom wear Mandalorian armor, but neither of whom are really Mandalorians, at least mm-hmm. according to canon. So are these more wannabes? Are they actually Mandalorians? We don't really know. Yeah, and by the way, correcting my previous reference, if it was Iron Banner, I'd be going to Saladin, but this person is dressed like Shax. With the fur, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, I, I don't know anything I don't know anything about the expanded universe, I just know the, the canon movies, but based on what I see here, what I'm surmising is that the Mandalorians are n- either they're inherently secretive or they're not in ascendancy. They're like either in hiding or dwindling in number. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what he looks like he's trying to do is like his armor. He's got the nice shiny helmet, but the rest of his armor is not right. too hot looking. And he gets one more piece again, kind of like, uh, <laughs> like destiny or he's, he gets, he gets one shoulder pad yep. uh, made out of the steel. She, the blacksmith asks him an interesting question yeah. that I didn't understand and presumably will be revealed to us later, which is, has your signet been revealed? Yeah. I don't know. Is there is there some secret that he has and a symbol somewhere on his armor that he is or isn't supposed to show? I don't understand what they're getting at. Anyway, he says no, and so she makes him a cool shoulder pad out of the steel, and now he's got one more piece of his armor. Now, now being the completionist, you're like, well, he's got to complete that set in eight episodes, right? <laughs> he needs the boots. He's got to get the boots yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the chest and all the other stuff. Um, and they, but they spend a lot of time dwelling. And she's she's sort of both of them, by the way. And this is this is. Uh, they hang a lantern on this very early in this in episode one when someone says, uh, they say, uh, I hear you guys never take your helmets off, or are you ever going to take that helmet off? Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. And she, during this whole exchange, she goes down and talks to the blacksmith. She's got her helmet on, he's got his helmet on. Neither one of them takes their helmets off. Yep. 
Yep. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And I wondered with the signet thing, um, I was wondering about that the first time through, I assumed it was like you said, like some sort of like logo insignia. The second time through, it made me wonder if it had something to do. It was like more deeply tied into their identity after all. And this is a salient point to this entire episode and probably the entire series. The Mandalorian has no name other than the Mandalorian. (laughs) So, And clearly there are many of them, right? It's not like he's the only Mandalorian and that's how they know they can identify. Oh, yeah, that man- it's not that Mandalorian. <laughs> it's <laughs> the Mandalorian. So I'm wondering if some of this is sort of a a journey to uh, of identity of some kind. Um, Speaking and- of that, by the way, d- yeah. and it's probably like my expectations early on in this thing of not knowing, but people saying don't spoil it for people. For a very long time into episode one, although not probably by this point. Mm-hmm. I, and even before the episode started, I figured there's a 50 or 50 chance they're going to pull a Metroid and it's a woman in that suit. That's how little I knew about this show. Sure. So I'm looking at the actor and I'm like, well, it does look like a man's body in there, but it could just be padding or armor. And then when the actor spoke, I'm like, well, it could be a voice modifier. It could still be a woman. I was hanging on to that probably uh, up to the blacksmith scene. I'm like, all right, it's not, it's not a woman in this suit, right? right? right. But to, the, to, the, to your point about identity the mandalorian doesn't give away anything and i'm like well maybe the identity of the mandalorian who never takes off their helmet could be part of this episode but eventually i realized it's, it's a guy in there um and we'll, as we'll, we'll talk about it at the end of it. but anyway like i <laughs> that was in my head so i'm already going in thinking the title and the identity of this character is part of the the pitch of this entire thing and episode one doesn't really pay off any of that it just continues to glide along on that slope yeah no and and i think i was very hopeful at the beginning uh when the show was first announced very similar to you that it might be a woman specifically i think there was a lot of fan theory that it might be sabine from rebels mm-hmm. um uh yeah and then they i mean obviously there's casting etc etc yeah i uh, didn't see any of the casting news no. so that's why i was like it could be but no uh, but I, it feels to me very much like what the vibe they're going for. And they, I saw an interview with Dave Filoni earlier today in which he pretty much calls this out is, you know, the man with no name, right? It's it's Clint mm-hmm. Eastwood um, from the uh, uh, Fistful of Dollars. And I think that's very clearly the vibe they're going for. Much like Boba Fett, uh, we have a character that doesn't speak that much. He certainly mm-hmm. speaks more than uh, Boba Fett did in like the entire <laughs> t- entire original trilogy, but he's got a similar sort of terse uh, nature to him, uh, which I think is really interesting. But we'll we'll talk a little bit about the overall character at the end. Um, we also get in this scene, um, while the uh, the armorer, as I believe uh, she is credited, is making his new shoulder pad, uh, we get flashbacks. Um, the Mandalorian says that he was a foundling. Uh, and we see what looks like uh, a child uh, in a village that's under attack, and the child is sort of stowed somewhere uh, out, out of the fighting, uh, looking upset about it. But it's disjointed, it's really chaotic, and, and we sort of, you know, it's implied heavily, of course, that that is the Mandalorian, his people or whatever were attacked, uh, and we don't really know by whom or any other details at this point. But it starts to give us a little bit of a clue, and I think that actually plays a big part later when we get to the end of the episode. Yeah, and I think that story, like, I mean, when I think of what a Star Wars television show would be like, and, you know, and maybe it's part of also what they've done with the, the standalone movies, uh, Rogue One and Solo, but you have to think, like, Star Wars is right in the title. There, there's a war going on, and yeah, the Star Wars movies shows us, like, the heroes and the villains, but the whole rest of the galaxy is mm-hmm. a bunch of people who are experiencing war as not as participants, 
So war produces tons of refugees and orphans and people subject to battles going on around them and destroyed planets. And it seems like it's almost impossible if you were going to sell, let's tell more stories in the Star Wars universe. You're not going to tell more stories about the heroes and villains, probably. You're going to tell stories about all the other people who have to live in the galaxy at war, before war, after war, and how war affects them. And so Solo, you know, Han Solo's origin is kind of through of that. And Rogue One, Jin and her whole thing, like, and, and same thing with this. And I think it is very realistic and true to the sort of premise of it's not, you know, like if you think of what Star Wars is, like I said, the gritty future, part of it is because it's a galaxy at war uh, and war doesn't make things shiny and awesome. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Everything is defined by conflict. And even in our timelines, right? I always find it fascinating. Uh, you know, we all hypothesize when the original trilogy came out, like, oh, the Clone Wars, this thing that took place way in the past. It's like 20 years before the original mm-hmm. trilogy, right? Like, very possible that this character, uh, you know, grew that like this conflict grew out of that, right? Rather than out of, you know, say the, the rebellion, what have you. In fact, you know, if it's only a few years after, maybe that would be unlikely, right? He's not he's not 10. <laughs> Mm-hmm. so yeah it, it really does ground all of that in the conflict um the third act of this is essentially we have him go to a planet to track down this quarry uh when he arrives on the planet he gets attacked by crazy little two-legged monster things that try <laughs> to eat him <laughs> and is saved by an ugnot uh who essentially uh agrees to or tells him he's going to help him uh teaches him to ride an Ugnaught in a, in a scene that I actually really liked where he gives him a hard time about, you're a Mandalorian, you shouldn't be falling off this thing. Yeah. Haven't you seen the cartoon with you on a dinosaur? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Apparently the Mandalorian logo is a Mythosaurus-like skull, which I never really realized. Yeah. Uh, that's what they're doing. Um, there is, uh, I want to call it two things that I, I liked here uh, in the sequence with the Ugnaught. One it becomes really clear that the the Mandalorian, he's not... So Boba Fett, I think, is a tricky... He's a fan favorite. He's always... To me, he's a bad guy and a jerk. I've never been mm-hmm. a Boba Fett fan. The Mandalorian is clearly... He is terse and he is um, not exactly brutal, but he's efficient, right? But he also seems to have some sort of code... He is not a, um, uh, he's not rude. Like in both the scenes he interacts with the Ugnaught, he says, thank you for helping him. He uh, says, please take this reward, you know, for helping me out. Um, and that to me says like, this is a person with a, with a code, uh, with some honor, even if they're doing bounty hunting, which is as, as Werner Herzog says, a complicated profession. Uh, he's not, he's not, uh, totally above the, the niceties of life. <laughs> Which, yeah, and in general, like, you get the idea that he's he's not not talking because he's trying to be menacing. He just, like, he would prefer not to interact. Like, he's almost, it's almost words. like he's shy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so, uh, after the, the Ugnaught helps him out, he um, finds this location where he is, his quarry re- resides, and he uh, is about to plan his assault when he sees a bounty droid appear and loudly proclaim that the bounty should be delivered. Uh, the bounty droid <laughs> gets into a fight. There's a lot of shooting. Um, and I, and I, I don't remember, because I either it's been too long or I haven't seen them all, but have we ever seen an IG droid in battle in any of, like, Rebels or Clone Wars? I have no recollection of it. Um, the I know there's more, I think there's more than IG-88, um, but even he, I think maybe we've seen him pop up briefly 
but never, I think, as as in depth as we get to see here. Because I think like this is one of the lots of things are sort of references and homages to things that have come before in Star Wars. But to me, this was 100 percent new. Right. So we've seen uh, IG-88, who I always called IG-88, and I'm kind of annoyed they're going with IG. But anyway, um, he's IG-11 has a significant role in this scene here. And you see him in combat and his particular mechanics of combat are not what you expect as in let's just animate this thing and have it be like a person who runs around with sticky legs and shoots stuff no no not at all it is very sort of in tune with the joints and the structure of the actual robot design from you know empire or like he's his head rotates 360 degrees his torso rotates along that joint his arms rotate and he shoots in multiple directions at once and it is such a perfect fit for the design of the droid it's such a good choice not to take that droid design and then just animate it as if the skeleton is a human because that would be so boring and this has personality and it's weird and awkward and fits with the model and you think that is an efficient way if you if you were this droid and this is what your joints were you would do this because it's the best way to combat things i mean the droid is still a little bit of, a, of an idiot but that's also <laughs> part of the uh, the humor of it I and mean, we're just walking in and expecting to collect his bounty and thinking he's just going to shoot everybody up uh, or self-destruct if he fails. Yeah, I, I think the you hit upon something that I really liked about this show that really captured the tone of the universe for me, which is people thinking about the way things work. There's a scene right before this. This is a tiny little thing, but I really liked it. When the Mandalorian lands on this planet looking for his quarry, he's got, he comes down like the ramp in the back and it's got these like hydraulic struts that sort of like slide out and then back in. It's just this weird little like detail that's in the background. And to me, it sort of struck me with all the force of like, this is this is like people who have designed these things just thinking like, ah, I wonder kind of what kind of weird mechanics this ship would have to make that ramp work. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I think that's a level of attention to detail that felt very much in place in a lot of parts of the original trilogy also. And it seems like people are just really enthusiastic about making these things uh, make sense within the the universe that they exist in. And I think the IG-11 IG is like a really great example of that. Like you said, it, it works in a way that people have spent some time thinking about like, well, how would an, a, like a bounty hunter droid do its thing like would it just and, and given the design because they are constrained by like they didn't make this design this right. design was you know exactly. so they, they're like we have to make this work as a bounty hunter and truth be told it's not maybe the way you would ide- ideally design a bounty hunter, but it's what you've got so they've got to figure it out and they made such good choice to, to give it such personality and you know like the actual personality of the robot fits with the personality of the movements uh and fits with the universe Great. Yeah, and I think you hit upon a key word there, constraints, which is something we always uh, like kind of associate with the original trilogy, and it always felt to some degree like in later versions when the special effects and stuff had become so good, and like just like we can literally make anything, right? Um, it always felt like a little bit of that was lost, and here it seems like they are playing up to a lot of the constraints of like, well, we've got a droid, it looks like this, like we can make anything we want. But this thing has been established in this way, and let's kind of operate within the constraints of the universe or within within our like our ideas of what the universe constrained. And it feels like a very uh, original trilogy mindset to me in the way that they approach it. Um, so we have a long fight here, which is pretty great and includes um, the IG-11 uh, threatening to blow itself up several times when it looks like things aren't going their way. But the Mandalorian manages to convince it to help it out and does a pretty great... A uh, bit where he grabs a turret with his little grappling gun and shoots a lot of guys. 
They blow down the door to find their quarry, and it turns out that it's it's 50 years old, but it's actually a baby because it's a, a baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, Yoda and Yaddle when getting it on. <laughs> well, they're the only two that we know of, right? So. I know, that's what I'm saying. So here's the thing about the 50-year-old thing. Now, I'm not going to say how space biology works, but even creatures that live a real long time on Earth, if you had, if someone had to stay a baby for fifty years, that seems excessive. That seems like just for the parents' sake alone. How like, would you, make you know, it? like a sea turtle that's going to live to be three hundred doesn't stay a baby sea turtle for fifty years. It's a baby sea turtle for like a year. You can't a fifty years of baby. That's like the most nightmare, gritty, dark aspect of this entire show. It's like okay, you're adorable, but fifty years, come on. You're really trusting to like the the evolution of adorableness saving you, like having yeah, people for look after you. Fifty years. It's working. There. The Mandalorian shoots IG Eleven because they have a difference of opinion wow. about whether or not to just kill it. It, it. He is adorable. <laughs> he is adorable. Yeah, I I found that fascinating because it, it had occurred to me. When they were very coy about, like, well, we don't know anything other than it's 50 mm-hmm. years old. And I was like, well, space time, yeah, it works different. And Yoda was really old. It did, like, kind of tweak to me, but it, I didn't fully predict it. Um, but that moment is pretty great. And we have the showdown between IG-11 and the Mandalorian where the IG-11 says, hey, my contract was to terminate the target. Mm-hmm. And the Mandalorian's like, whoa, that was not my deal. Uh, and when it comes down to it, the Mandalorian chooses the baby over IG-11, which I was a little bummed about because I really thought he and the robot were going to be like best buds now. Yeah, that's like that's the show. Episode one has a bunch of interesting, fun characters that are disposed of. Mm-hmm. Like they just, you know, I mean, again, maybe some of them will be back. Maybe there'll be other IG droids, but it's not like the show is precious with, uh, you know, oh, the IG droid is so much fun. We're going to keep it for the whole series shot in episode one. Yeah. Yeah. Good, great character. I mean. The, the Ugnaught is, is fine, and e- even that one, so, like, had a Star Warsism of, like, a strange speech pattern, which is definitely a Star Wars. He's got, he had the I have spoken, yep. right? Yep. Which I think is great, uh, but who knows if we'll ever see him again in the entire series. Well, I can, I can, I got some guesses, mainly based on, like, metadata, like, who's playing these people. The, the Ugnaught fascinates me because I could not tell whether it was a person with prosthetics, some sort of puppet hybrid, or CGI, but it really looked like a person in prosthetics. Yeah, yeah, they, they did. It was some interesting stuff here. So the only part where I felt like the TV budget showed through was with them riding on the blurgs. Yes, I noticed that as well. When they were full CG, you could see it wasn't movie budget CG. Another scene where he was learning to ride the yep. blurg was practical. They had a man in a suit walking on stilts. So the man's legs on stilts were the actual blurg's legs, and they had fake legs strapped on the side. Hmm. And that's like, that's a clever way to save some money. And it looked very kind of, you know, old school Star Wars-y kind of stuff. Uh, but overall, like, that, that doesn't bother me in the least. Like, in terms of like, almost the whole rest of the show was like, this is practically movie quality Star Wars yeah. on a television program. It- so I'm, especially since mostly movie quality Star Wars mostly involves things being slightly wet dirty and slightly <laughs> dimly lit and like yes you nailed it right and some shiny stuff the shiny helmet looks great the little shoulder pad looks great uh, all the props look good uh, i think the ugnaught was probably mostly a prosthetic mask and it looked like a mask or you know for people of our generation that's fine uh people people wearing alien masks talking like star wars yeah that's it that's you it. got it well i, I think you're to- that's that's exactly where it hit me too is it felt like very much uh, we are going to pattern ourselves again uh, after the original trilogy, and we're going to kind of throw uh, a lot of the resources we have. And considering, like, 
I, I was wondering, like, how do you make a show look this good? Because I've watched a lot of TV shows and a lot of sci-fi shows, and most of them don't look anywhere near as good yeah. as this. Think of, think of IG-11. IG-11 looked amazing. I have no idea if it was full CG all the time or whether it was practical ones. Perfect blend of them. IG-11 was basically movie quality. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, it's a testament to the fact that when you've got, like, all of Lucasfilm and ILM and stuff, basically, <laughs> at your back, you can do a lot of work. You can do a lot of really expensive work, uh, especially when you're not like your budget is a little more um, flexible than maybe it would be in other circumstances. So uh, it, it definitely shows here. And I, I think it looks to me, this is the overriding feeling I have about the show is it looks and feels like Star Wars. And that's everything from how the props and the effects are made to the um just the overall like they use the same wipes you know the cheesy wipes from the 30s mm-hmm. cereals like and it's not ever overdone i felt like i felt like it, it just it all feels very loving and it feels very much like this is what we really want to tell is this story that fits within this universe that we grew up with that we adore and yeah they, they landed in a little bit thick in episode one for the homages though so he's looking through the the scope Yep. And then the blurb comes up in his yep. face yep. instead of a sand creature. Uh, they have him trying to open, uh, to, messing with the panels of a big giant door. Or, you know, it's kind of like Han that's trying just, to open That's just up. how you open doors in the, the Star Wars door thing. <laughs> I was just waiting for the second set of doors to close on it, right? Like, just so many things. It's like, you know, here's the thing. If you don't, if you aren't so steeped in that stuff, you will never notice that these are, these are you know, homages to classic Star Wars stuff. Uh and the plot doesn't depend on it, and they don't even pay off half those gags, like uh, messing with the door. So it just ends up feeling like Star Wars, but there's... I got a little bit of wink fatigue in the first episode, but I'm like, look, it's episode one, I totally give it to you. I, I think the... Surprisingly for, you know, so we've come to the end of the episode, he never does take off the helmet in this episode, right. just to right. be clear, yep. right? They do not pay that off. Like, that could have been an easy way to end episode one, and here I am. The, I honestly I don't even know what the... I still don't know what the actor looks like <laughs> under that, but I don't know... I think I recognize the name and the credit. I'm like, oh, that must be the, the main character. But I have no idea. Uh, so I don't know when they're going to eventually pay that off. But despite being in a completely emotionless helmet that doesn't change, like it doesn't have eyeline changes, like there's no, there's no movement in that helmet whatsoever. I felt the personality of this character coming through just from the voice, the fairly muffled, gruff voice performance and the lines and the body language <laughs> trying to deal with the droid trying to deal with that battle, his sort of decision-making process of when should I run, when should I fight, should I kill the IG droid, should I shoot these people, should I trust the Ognot, what should I do about the blurgs, am I getting frustrated, do you have a speeder, like that whole thing. Works surprisingly well. If you were to pitch this and say, we're going to have a show, the title of the show is this main character, character is going to be in a helmet the whole show, You're never, he's never going to take it off, uh, and that's it. They'd be like, I don't know, I don't know about this whole idea of not knowing the name or seeing the face of the main character, uh, but when it's Star Wars, you can get away with I that. Mean, and I think it was, uh, you know, successful on episode one anyway. Yeah, and think about the fact that you're pitching that to an actor at some point, too, being like, you're the star <laughs> of the show. We're never going to see right. your face, and you get only a few lines, and your character has no name. Like, you- Except <laughs> when it's a stuntman, which may be a lot of the time in this episode. Which it could so, be, but, I, but I'm with you. Like, a lot of the body language and the attitude comes through from that performance. It's a very physical performance, and I, you know, clearly they spent a long time trying to find an actor, I, I would think, who who really could do that. 
um, because uh, so much is conveyed just from little details here and there. And I, I was impressed. I was really impressed. I like you. I got the same sense of a character throughout this. Uh, and it really, I felt like, yeah, I like this. I like this person. I don't really know that much about them, but like I instinctively kind of, kind of like them. So yeah. Yeah. Cause they felt like they were, the character feels like they're navigating this world that, I mean, it's not as strange to them as it is to us, but it's it's kind of an annoying world. Like, he's, he doesn't have a lux, luxurious job. He's got a hard job, and it's filled with difficult choices, and he has skills to help him do it, but it's like, you're on a different planet, you gotta deal with these different creatures, you got your competing bounty hunters, and then you've got the person who's trying to escape from you, and it's just, he feels somewhat put upon to be doing that, but he's a working man. He's He brings in the pucks, he gets the thing, he wants to make money. He's not, like... I am the greatest bounty hunter in the world, and I am, like, he is just, he's out there just trying to pay the Maldorian bills, Maldorian, Mandalorian bills, and get more pieces of his outfit, right? And he's got this this past that we get glimpses of, like, it just, that's that's the the non-hero, non-villain track of Star Wars that, you know, and in some respects, the the Han Solo track of, like, where where he came from, like, you gotta do something to pay the bills, you do have skills. Uh, but it's not always easy or fun. Uh, and you know, it's, I, I've so far in one episode, I feel like that's, that's what this show has to be about him trying to make his way and figure out what his own deal is while still trying to actually, you know, put food on the table. Yeah. And I, I, I love that aspect. And it's one that I feel like hasn't been explored as much because so much of the legacy of star Wars is tied up with the Jedi and with these overarching good versus evil stories. And I really like the more the smaller stories that are about these people who are subsisting in this universe and maybe aren't tied up in these big huge galactic events but they still are affected by what happens in the rest of the galaxy and you know honestly rebels and clone wars touched on that at parts but even those were largely in the service of this larger overall yeah you still got evil. the empire and the jedi and, and yeah and the, the light force dark side light side etc whereas yep. this and to solo basically feel kind of like the the biggest mm-hmm. uh examples we've had of this the or, gray or, or even rogue one because sure. there is yeah. the larger yeah. rebellion but the people who are asked to do the stuff are just people who have been already affected they've already lost almost everything from the war and they're asked to give everything else, and they don't get to see the victory. Right, right. And the universe is, I think, as we discussed in previous episodes of The Incomparable, the universe is so large, it bears so many possible stories that aren't just about that central conflict. And I think, you know, that's been explored in other media, but less so in sort of live-action TV and film. Uh, so uh, I was pleased to see them go in that direction, flesh things out a little bit. I agree there's a lot of Easter egg in this episode. I kind of hope they got a lot of it out of their system. Uh, but it feels like there's a lot of like, Hey, it's star Wars. Did we mention it's star Wars? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the roasted, uh, salacious crumb. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. God, <laughs> I'd never like that character, but nobody deserves that. <laughs> I laugh. And the other ones I are in the cage wait, yeah. waiting to be roasted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, definitely a little dark, but I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, and we have this sort of tie. in so like this, this last thing at the end of the episode with dealing with the baby, and the reason that, you know, the, the Mandalorian obviously saves him clearly is there's a certain degree of identification with the flashback where we saw earlier where he was abandoned, presumably, uh, as a foundling. So it, it makes sense. It tracks, right? Like, I think that was the other part of this that I liked is that 
I feel like like you were concerned about is this going to be a super grim story and like there's a super grim alternative where the Mandalorian's just like yeah the baby whatever I don't care yeah. kills the baby and you're like I don't want to watch a show about bounty hunter that's yeah, off yeah. killing babies right like that sounds terrible. Although up to that point, I mean, it's not that you you know you you're really wondering what he's going to do because you kind of recognize that he's mostly a good guy, but it, he did carbon free. He didn't. He wasn't there out of the goodness of his heart, saving sure. the yeah. saving the fish face guy. He did carbon freeze him. He is a bounty hunter. He did just he did kill that whole entire you know little encampment of people. <laughs> there are there. a lot they of people him, there. <laughs> they show him standing above all the dead bodies to sort of hammer that home to, to realize it's not just fun shoot him up when you're done. Everybody is dead, yeah, and you're still standing there, and that's the thing that you've got to deal with because you did that, right? Right, yeah. And so you do get him in there, and the IG droid, you know, is just going to do it because it's the uh, you know a, a merciless droid. But here's the thing: he has to kill IG Eleven, who is like, that's wasn't that droid his friend? Weren't they good fighting? They had that fun banter. Boom, shoots him in the head. I mean, right? he never so likes droids. Still, it's still that's there. what he says. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's still there that you know he's not the world's greatest wonderful you can't be if you're a bounty hunter and so and he doesn't really hesitate that much he's like well i've got to make the call and i am an inherently good person so my friend droid that i like shot in the head yeah that was a, that's a, the world's smallest trolley problem <laughs> yeah um but yeah I, the other larger aspect i wanted to talk about as well um because it's an integral part of so much of star wars is the music um the this episode and i assume probably most of the series is scored by uh i'm gonna try to pronounce his name he's uh ludwig Gorenson, uh who is m- probably best known for doing the music for black panther and once you kind of know that i feel like you go back and listen to it you'll definitely hear it um he likes his drums and his electronics uh i will note that if you're on apple music and possibly on other streaming services disney has actually posted the all the music from this first episode which i felt was kind of wild i don't think i've ever seen uh music posted for a currently running tv show Mm -hmm. (laughs) like episode by episode but i'm here for it um it's not john williams it occasionally plays slight homage to john williams but i feel like it is very distinct from a lot of the pretty much all of the star wars music that we've heard to date uh yeah, as it should be yes. because it's a different vibe like we were just talking about it's not the heroes villains light side dark side jedi uh galactic war vibe it's the you know bounty hunter trying to get paid vibe yeah the space western vibe too right like it's definitely yeah. got an element of that and i feel like that that first scene especially in the bar is very classic western you know the guy goes into the bar the drink falls over he picks a fight with the guy slams one into a bar you know all of that feels very much like it could have been lifted directly from a western and you know like with original star wars there's a lot of of genre theft going on and that's that's why it works so well like that that thread was going around the other day uh talking about like if you just put a cowboy hat on han solo he would just be another <laughs> cowboy. And mm-hmm. I felt like I felt a, a little bit of that influence here where it's like this without the funny hats and aliens like this would just be a Western. And that kind of is what makes it work because it's sort of a classic trope structure. So uh, the music, I think, works to in, like sort of enhance that and play with that. Uh, and it's a little strange at points. I can't quite get a, a unified picture of it because it does bounce back and forth between yeah. this more atonal stuff and then this slightly more melodic stuff. But I, I like what I've heard so far, and I'm interested to see how that progresses along with the series. 
Yeah, it's interesting that I was I'm not as attuned to the soundtracks as you are, but I did notice when the when the certain melodies came in, I'm trying to do my Star Wars thing and assign mm-hmm. them like motifs. All right, so this is this theme, yeah. and that's that person's theme, and it's like, nah, I don't, I haven't established that enough for me to recognize yet. Maybe in episode two it'll start to come together, but I did definitely notice the music being unexpected, interesting and unexpected. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really feel any sort of uh strong themes coming through uh and also i didn't i mean it, i you're saying you sounded a little bit williamsy at some point i didn't really notice any overt references to no third uh the star wars there's music. no actual quoting of any of the themes that we are so used to i felt like there was just sort of it occasionally went into a more orchestral like full-throated orchestral mode but a mm-hmm. lot of it seems much more spare fewer instruments uh, heavier reliance on electronic stuff and percussion, which isn't as common in a lot of the earlier scores. So uh, it, it seems like to sort of tip its hat every once in a while to where it came from. But it, I agree with you. It's it's a distinct thing, as it should be, because this is a very different genre and story than a lot of the ones that we've encountered before. Uh, and plus, they can save that for episode, you know, three, season two, when he flies by a Star Destroyer, right? right? You, can, you can save the Imperial March, like, just, you know, a, a brush up against the, like... The, the 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 remains of the empire or like a jedi or something yeah right yeah but that that shouldn't be the theme of this show or of him part of me wonders how long they can get a, get away with not doing that like not moving into that larger universe because i think the temptation will always be there to say let's 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 see a star destroyer in the background or let's see a you know a jedi or something like that but i feel like this show Seems like it will work better if it doesn't really, if it sort of stays away from that out on the the outer rim. Yeah, I feel like it can comment on it, like someone can mention Jedi or lightsabers and he can have a wry comment about it, but it shouldn't be the type of thing that he encounters routinely. Like in episode three, he shouldn't be busting into a thing and fighting off Luke Skywalker. And it's Jedi Club, what? Yeah, (laughs) so, and also, I still don't know the timeline of this thing, so I don't understand who's who's alive, who's doing what, Uh, you know, it's like, like you said, we haven't seen any First Order stuff, so that kind of starts to pin it in between Jedi and Force Awakens, and now we're narrowing the scope. But right. honestly, I don't know. But yeah, like, I, you know, I don't... That's a thing that... Uh, a tendency of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that everything is contemporaneous and always intricately tied with each other, and I hope the Star Wars stuff, uh, this particular show, decides you don't have to do that. You can have, you know, obviously Rebels is tied in, Clone Wars is tied in. That's all linked together. We see all the pieces, you know. We've got Anakin Skywalker running around the shows. This one doesn't have to do that at all. I would be fine if I'd never saw a Jedi for this entire series sure, yeah. and just heard them just heard them mentioned. Yeah, and I think there is a lot of room in there to play with, uh, certainly on the on-screen adaptations. Not much between uh, Jedi and Force Awakens has really been delved into at all. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of room to play with there. I mean, you know, what, 20 years to play with there. And I, I think particularly I'm really interested in how, especially in the post-Jedi uh, era, how the, the, the Empire doesn't just cease to exist, right, the day after Endor. There is a lot of bureaucracy left there. There is a lot of their ships 
you know, there's a fleet out there. There are stormtroopers. crappy money floating around yeah. that people are starting not to think is worth too much. Exactly. So there's interesting questions in an interesting setting there when you have maybe, maybe there are little fiefdoms of Imperial officials who have, you know, become warlords or whatever. Like, I think that's an interesting era to explore. And because the Empire had its fingers in all these places across the galaxy, you know, you might be running into pockets of, of you know, remainders of the Empire that have an axe to grind or are out for money or whatever. So there's a lot of room in there to play with. And I agree, it, it's not sticking too close to the main sequence of stuff. It gives you a lot more freedom. Uh, and it, it's really interesting because it's stuff we haven't seen before. Oh, speaking of tie-ins, I, this might have been just my imagination or my radar was up. But uh, going past his closet of carbon freeze bounties, mm-hmm. right? One of them, I'm like, is that Kira? It looked like a, a woman, but she was like huh. kind of writhing in pain or whatever. But like, it would be interesting if one of his bounties was Kira and he captured her and she's frozen in carbon. Obviously, they can't get that actor for the show, but I, that's, <laughs> that's what I thought when I was my, my radar was up about tie ins. Yeah, it was hard to tell. I, they're all kind of distorted. So, like, there are people who it's like, oh, that kind of look at it this way. It looks like maybe it's this actor or that actor, but I have no idea. Yeah, carbon freeze adds 15 pounds. anyway. You know, <laughs> but it's true, though. I always felt like the model of, of Han Solo, like looked a little bit weird and not quite like him. And they did such a good job in this. Like we saw that actor, like the fish face guy. Uh, and when he gets carbon frozen, he looks a little bit different. It yeah. does. The carbon freezing does that to you. Yeah, it has. A, it has an effect. It's not good. It's not good for the skin. Yeah, they should have that at weddings. Like, instead of a photo booth, they'd have a carbon freezing booth where you just go in and they carbon freeze you. Yeah, you, uh, you only go to maybe one wedding then. That's the real downside. <laughs> it's, it's an AR application. <laughs> perfectly safe. Uh, before we wrap up, do you have any uh, other thoughts in general about this episode or just, like, the series overall? I know we've touched on a lot of stuff, but if you got anything else to add? Uh, so, episode one, like... It's hard for me to tell if this was the blowout for their budget and the rest of the episodes are all going to be interiors with people talking, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a bottle <laughs> show from here on out. Yeah, yeah, I, that's, that's what I'm saying. But if, if the show can keep this uh, production value and number of different set pieces and characters, interesting stuff going for eight episodes, I will be amazed. I'm assuming it's a little bit front-loaded, but I'm ready for episode two. I'm, I was pleasantly surprised, and I'm enjoying the fact that, it's, that it is similar in tone to clone wars and rebels uh and you know the tv properties that came before that were animated but i take animation 100 percent as seriously as live action and i'm glad it seems like they do too yeah no i agree and i think the two things that really work in its favor here one uh, eight episodes as you said which is a nice small number they're not going to drag it out to 13 or 26 god forbid uh yeah. you can do all you can do a lot with eight episodes and the other thing that i thought was really interesting was this episode clocks in at like 38 minutes or so mm-hmm. it is short right like they are is like they designed it for a network tv slot basically without having the constrictions of having to actually do a network tv slot so to me that says like we're going to be judicious about how much we put in each episode it's how long it needs to be and we'll you know tell the story that we need to tell and i feel like that's that's reassuring in many ways they don't feel the need to be especially when you have a main character with as few lines as he has you don't need yeah. to string it out very long so i'm, I'm curious like you to see what the next episode brings uh but i really uh, hard for me to say what to expect so i guess we'll find out uh this uh friday uh, is actually when the next episode airs before it switches i think to an all friday schedule so our tuesday episode was a one-off um all right well that is it uh thank you so much all out there for listening to this first episode of uh what we're going to call a complicated profession and special thanks to my guest john syracuse 
John, thanks so much for being here on our first episode. I have spoken. <laughs> well, I'd like you all to know that we blew our budget on this episode. So uh, from here on out, it's just me talking to some CGI characters. <laughs> that's you, a series of grunts. That's, that's it. it. That's all we can afford. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time. You decided on the title during the episode. Yeah, that's how I roll. Or you can't. Or you can't think of anything better. No, I like. <laughs> I just can't. Like, you know, I, it grew on me. It grew on me. The more I thought about it, the more it's, I liked it's, it. It's the best suggested title. It's so much so that I'm afraid there'll be a, the other podcast will also be called. That. I better publish <laughs> immediately. Then that's <laughs> you the get it out there first. You gotta get squatted that name. I'm gonna, I'm gonna edit it right now. I'm gonna post it. I'm not gonna edit that much. I'm just this flashcast. That's what you get for the flashcast. You don't have to spend there like an go. hour editing it. <laughs>